Today on Blue 58, the Packers stood pat at the trade deadline, leaving things to the players already on the roster to salvage the season. Will they? Only time will tell, but there's a lot we can watch along the way. Hello and welcome to another episode of Blue 58, the one and only podcast of thepowersweep.com. I am your host, John Meerdink, happy to be with you here for another episode. It's no moves, again, for the Packers at the trade deadline, but not for lack of trying. What does it mean? Well, the Packers didn't really want to buy at the trade deadline, though they tried, but they also don't want to blow it up either. The lasting feeling I have from the trade deadline is it kind of stinks that this isn't two weeks from now, because I think that would help the team teams like the Packers, because I think you need a couple more weeks to really let it sink in that things are done for you sometimes. Or maybe you turn things around and maybe two weeks from now you're five and five if you're the Packers and feeling better. So heading into your, what would that be, week 11 game, you trade for some more help and you've got it for the last six weeks of the season in the playoffs. Is that necessarily make trading for somebody a better idea? I don't think so. But it at least lets more teams get an idea of where they're at. Or if things don't go well from you and two weeks from now you're three and seven, you can sell off all your spare parts and really get your your rebuild underway. That all being said, the Packers did try to make a move. According to Jacina Anderson, we first found out this afternoon that the Packers had made an offer, and yesterday they figured it was going to be the best one for Chase Claypool of the Pittsburgh Steelers. Until today, when the Chicago Bears came in. Now, initially, I thought this might have been the Packers just getting leveraged here, like they maybe offered a, a lower round pick, like maybe they offered a third for Claypool and the, the Bears come in and offer a two. But that turns out to not have been the case. We got some initial reports from Pittsburgh local media, and then Tom Silverstein confirms that the Packers did indeed offer a two for Claypool. The Steelers just figured the Bears was going to end up being better because the Bears are going to end up being worse. Incidentally, this is the second time the Packers have explored trading in a way for Claypool because they wanted to trade up during the 2020 draft in the second round and couldn't get up high enough to get Claypool. So they end up standing pat and taking A.J. Dillon instead. Now, I don't know what to think about this. I'm still kind of working through this a little bit here Tuesday night. But I don't love that the Packers feel like they're in a position where adding a player can help them this year. So they're going to give up some pretty significant draft capital. But this is the only move that they end up making. Now, there's other wide receivers out there, if you think you're a receiver away or you think a receiver can help you, that you could have acquired. We talked about a few different options at thepowersweep.com. For instance, Kendrick Bourne would be a pretty good option. He does a lot of the things you're hoping for from a wide receiver, pretty good after the catch, pretty good athlete though not as good as, as Claypool, to be sure. He's probably a little bit more more polished as a player. But the difference, I don't know, if you're looking to acquire for somebody for this year, is probably not all that much. But it seems the Packers stand pat after not making the move for Claypool. And now we're here. The Packers think they're just going to ride it out with what they've got. And apparently they think what they've got is pretty good already 
because they didn't flip around and go the other way and just say, we're going to sell off some assets. I don't know if selling or buying is necessarily the right move, in part because we got to wait and see where things end up over the next couple of weeks. Maybe three weeks from now, the Packers are 6-5, and five and they feel like they've really got a shot to make the playoffs. But it feels like, at bottom, this is the Packers, again, just being a little bit passive. Like they're hoping a decision is going to get made for them. They want a receiver, so they offer a two for Claypool. That's a pretty good move. But if you really think Claypool is the difference for you, why not add a five or a four in there? Because even if it's not for this year, Claypool is under contract for next year too. That's one of the reasons he was of interest to me is you've got two years of team control here. Even if it's Jordan Love at quarterback for the Packers next year, you've got another receiver under contract who's at least in line with a lot of the things that you like to do. Big athlete, good at getting down the field. Sure, there are some imperfections to his game, but it's a guy you've been interested in before. It's like the Packers are just hoping on a lot of different things, and I think you can look at a lot of different things on this roster and see more hope than plans. The Packers hoped a lot of pieces would would fall into place on the offensive line. They hoped David Bakhtiari's knee would be better to start the year. They hoped Elton Jenkins would be able to, to hold things down on the right side. We'll talk a little bit more about Elton Jenkins here in a second. They hoped that their defense would take a step after last year. They hoped that rookie wide receivers plus Sammy Watkins plus Alan Lazard and Randall Cobb would be enough to offset the loss of Devontae Adams. And all that hope hasn't amounted to much. It seems like the Packers are just hoping things are going to figure themselves out. But hope is what got them into this mess in the first place. We've talked about this, I feel like almost ad nauseum at this point. But I'll bring it up again. It's not a mystery to the Packers that they're struggling this year. That was part of the plan. If they were worried about having a bumpy road in 2022, they sure didn't do a whole lot to avoid it because the sort of players that would have smoothed out some of those bumps are not on this roster. But it went worse than they expected here in the first eight weeks. They were thinking, okay, things are going to be rough, but we'll be able to beat the Giants. We'll be able to beat the Jets. We'll be able to beat the Commanders. And then you're 6-2 and two, heading into the back half of your season. Sure, things haven't been great, but you steal a couple wins there on the front end, and you can figure things out down the stretch. Hasn't worked out. So now the Packers offer a two for Chase Claypool, hoping that it turns out to be the best, thinking apparently that he can help them solve their their issues on offense in 2022 and maybe 2023, and they end up with nothing. And I don't understand that part of it. The Packers have seemed to want to play this both ways this season. They think that they can contend with Aaron Rodgers, so they sign him to a big deal, but also they don't really go in on getting him a whole lot of help either. They really don't add a ton to their offense, other than these two rookie receivers that have played a lot, and then you got some more Ture in there as well. You're just kind of hoping for a lot, and hope isn't much of a plan, and whatever plan there was really hasn't gotten the Packers very far, 
And then they're trying just, it feels like the bare minimum to try to get a little bit better. I, I don't feel like they're a receiver away anyway. It's kind of a confusing time to be a Packers fan because you can see some of the plan, but it also feels like the Packers are both expecting some of these outcomes and then also surprised by them too. I, I don't really know what to make of that. But I'm left feeling like it's hard to have a positive takeaway about the Packers front office here. Because the, the, the parts of their plan that depend on one another are in conflict. You want Aaron Rodgers, but you're not going to really invest in Aaron Rodgers' success other than hoping Devontae Adams comes back. And then when he doesn't, you hope that a couple rookies are going to be enough. That doesn't seem like very good planning to me. But the planning doesn't end because the Packers have a couple big decisions coming up on noteworthy contracts. The first is going to be for Elton Jenkins, who is due for a new contract after this year. Gut check time right now. Would you sign Elton Jenkins to a big money contract right now? Like just for the the sake of, I don't even want to put a number on it, but just say top end guard money at the very least. Would you sign him to a money or to a deal that pays him top five guard money in the NFL, whatever that happens to be? I don't think I would right now. I think you slow play this one. But. The Packers and Jenkins are in a tough spot here because for a few reasons. First, and I guess at the the most important level here, Elton Jenkins is, and I don't want this to sound overly dramatic, but he's kind of having a season from hell here. And it dates back to the middle of last year too. So year one, year two, year three, Elton Jenkins is a at first a super sub then a really rock solid starter at one position then it turns out he can play a whole bunch of positions then he ends up playing at a pro bowl level at one position and then because David Bakhtiari tears up his knee you end up with Elton Jenkins at a totally new position and it turns out he's pretty good there too but then Jenkins himself tears his ACL and basically as soon as he's cleared to play football again, the Packers have him at an entirely new position. Why do they need him to do that new position? Well, it's in part because David Bakhtiari's knee still isn't better. Because in a perfect world, heading into 22, David Bakhtiari is fully cleared to go. You probably move Yash Nyman over to the right side. And then you have Elton Jenkins at either left or right guard. And it does seem like he is most comfortable on the inside. But Bakhtiari can't go on the outside. So Yash Nyman has to stay on the left. That leaves Elton Jenkins on the right. And whatever you have at guard. When the Packers finally decide to make a change at guard and move Elton Jenkins back inside, after things don't go particularly well for him on the outside, what happens? Well, now he's got an entirely new injury, a foot injury. And who knows how long it's going to be before that is is fully better, if it ever is. Because lower body injuries and 300-pound guys, well, may I refer you to David Bakhtiari. So here's Elton Jenkins in a contract year 
playing full-time at a position he hasn't played extensively before, coming off an ACL injury, now dealing with an entirely new injury after not looking particularly good at his first position. Terrific. And while it may not have been a perfect situation to put him at guard or at tackle, you can also see how the Packers and Jenkins end up in a situation where their incentives are aligned in a way that kind of hurts both of them. Jenkins is an elite offensive lineman. He can play a whole bunch of different positions, but tackles make the most money. So he probably wants to play at tackle because that's where you make the most money. And the difference between left and right tackle anymore is really negligible. Left and right tackles are both getting big money and both get paid more than guards. So Jenkins probably wants to be on the outside. Unfortunately, as the season has gone on, it become has become clear that the Packers have really needed him at guard. Jenkins surely wants to get paid like a tackle, but the Packers need him at guard, and his injury situation is such, or his, his recovery from his injury, because remember, we're still not a year out from his ACL injury, has been such that his ability to play tackle effectively has been limited. But the Packers have needed him there, and Jenkins wants to be there. It's kind of a vicious cycle of negativity. And it ends up in a situation where Jenkins just seemingly can't win, and then, on top of that, he's hurt. So the Packers are going to have to decide between now and whenever if they want to re-sign him at all. And if the Packers end up at the end of this year and Aaron Rodgers retires, we're in full rebuild mode. I think you probably just say, we'll take the compensatory pick in 2024. Thank you very much. Elton Jenkins, appreciate your service. What a weird situation. And all of it, once again, Circles back to New Year's Eve 2020. Funny how those things can spiral. The other big decision the Packers have to make is on Darnell Savage. Now, we haven't talked about him a whole lot this year, though I have to get out give a shout-out to, if you're not in our Discord server, this username is going to sound very odd. But if you are, you know exactly who I'm talking about, Mark Borchart fanboy who has been on the Darnell Savage storyline since pretty much week one. Savage has not been great this year. And it's kind of been a slow decline for Savage for a while. That's, well, maybe it started as a slow decline, but it seems to have gotten quicker and quicker. Savage had an up and down rookie year, started pretty slow in his second year, 2020, but had a very strong stretch there in the, the middle to later portions was on fire in terms of getting his hands on the ball there for a while. Had something like eight ball, ho- ball hawks over six weeks, or had like seven weeks in a row with the ball hawk. I can't exactly remember. But he was all over the place. He was doing great, great stuff for the Packers defense. But since that stretch, it's basically been a slow, slow decline. Maybe it all stems back to the, the bad play or negative play he had in the 2020 NFC Championship game where Chris Godwin catches the big bomb over him on basically a 50-50 ball or a ball that may even have been tilted slightly towards Savage, like 60-40 in favor of Savage at least breaking up the pass. Since then, it's really been a faster and faster decline for Savage. Now, the Packers decided to pick up his fifth-year option prior to this season. And I guess you can see the thinking there, too. Because as of right now, Savage's cap hit for 2023 is going to be around in the 20s in terms of the safety market. And he'll probably move towards the lower 20s as the rest of the safeties hit free agency and get their deals. You're probably thinking, 
at the time looking at those ranks, you know, if we end up paying Darnell Savage, it's like a guaranteed contract of like, say, eight and a half million dollars or in the ballpark there. And that's like the 23rd or 25th best cap hit for safeties in the league. Okay. That that's good. If he can be like the 23rd best safety in the NFL, that's not great, but you know, he's got elite athletic traits. You could do worse than having the 23rd best safety as one of your starters. But this year, to be very, very clear, he is not one of the 25 best safeties in the NFL. In fact, if you ranked him 20 through 50, he's significantly closer to 50 than he is to 20. And he may not even be on the plus side of 50 or the right side of 50. So the Packers probably should have explored a trade for him today if they didn't. And if they haven't thought about it, we're going to have to have a serious conversation before the next league year starts. Because as of right now, the um, the cap hit is is too high for what you're getting for Savage. This is not how the Packers anticipated things going with, um, well, say midway through the 2020 season. You've got Elton Jenkins playing significant reps for the first time, or you've got, excuse me, Rashawn Gary playing significant reps for the first time. Things are looking good for him, 2020. You've got Darnell Savage really coming along in the back half of 2020. You've got Elton Jenkins looking like there's absolutely nothing he can't do. Two years later, Elton Jenkins is hurt, has been not great this year. Darnell Savage looks like he shouldn't be on the field at all. And at least Rashad Carey is good because things have changed significantly since the other two of your top three picks in 2019. The NFL is wild, man. Looking at the rest of the Packers season, it's going to be, I think in some ways, a slog. No matter what happens, the Packers are going to be on the brink of extinction for the rest of the year. Five losses through October is going to put you in that situation. Even if the Packers are winning, they're always just going to be that close to being done for the year. And that's going to be a stressful thing to for as a fan. It's hard to enjoy things when things are, are that stressful. So what do you watch the rest of the way? If you're trying to get your mind off that aspect and you still want to have fun watching the Packers, what do you watch? Because I've been pretty insistent on this idea that this is still an interesting time to be a Packers fan. And I think it is because transition is always interesting. Transition is when the things are happening that you're going to look back three years from now and say, this is where this decision went right. This is where this decision went wrong. This is where things could have been a little bit better here. You get to watch that play out in real time. And when you know it's happening or about to happen, that's, I think, when you should really be excited about things. That's when, as a fan, I think it's time to put a little bit of extra work in to really watch some of these moves closely. The Packers sign a guy, and you dig a little bit deeper on who it is. Say, for instance, well, like November, what would would it have been? 2017? Yeah, 2017. Around that time, November, December 2017, One of Ted Thompson's last significant moves as a general manager was to sign tight end Robert Tunyon. Around that same time, he brought in Alan Lazard, I believe. It may have been 2018, but Tunyon for sure was in there. But Tunyon, low-level practice squad signing, 
We probably mentioned him in passing, if at all. But he's gone on to be a pretty significant contributor over the years for the Packers. Those sorts of moves are going to be happening over the rest of this season and beyond. And guys that are on the roster are going to get opportunities to uh, to shine. So what should we be watching the rest of the way as we head into what could be a transition time for the Green Bay Packers? The first thing on my list is who's getting opportunities on the offensive line. So things are going to remain, I think, unsettled on the offensive line for some time here. We've got uncertainty with David Bakhtiari. He's week to week, day to day. We've got uncertainty with Elton Jenkins, whatever's going on with his foot and his continued movement uh, around positions. So who else is going to get opportunities? We've seen Zach Tom get some burn at left guard and on the right side a little bit this year. Will that continue? Because guard has not looked like a great fit for him, given his, I would say, current weight. Um, I don't want to get into the technical stuff like anchor and, and stuff like that like the, the more technical side of pass blocking and run blocking because that's not my area of expertise. But I can read a roster sheet, and right now it says that Zach Tom is about 304 pounds, which seems generous looking at him. If you told me he was like 290, I would probably believe you. 285 maybe. He's not thick enough, heavy enough to play guard in the NFL right now, but I think he should still get some opportunities, so what do you do with him? And asking that same question, what about Sean Ryan? He's been active the last two games, but hasn't played on offense. When does he get a look? The Packers have explored playing with him at, at guard. Was that that classic tackle prospect who might have to move in the inside or into the inside in the NFL uh, for the Packers in the draft this spring? Well, when does he start getting opportunities? The second big thing I want to watch over the rest of the season is developments on the edge, specifically J.J. Enigbare, I guess literally the only one. He has really come along these past couple weeks, a couple tackles for loss, four of them in fact, uh, two sacks in there as well. And it looks like he adds a little bit to his game each and every week. And he's kind of an, an interesting category of players for the Packers, which is a tendency breaker for, for um, Brian Gutekunst in the draft. Not an elite athlete, but pretty productive in college. Is he a case study for maybe expanding the draft purview a little bit more? In any case, he's going to continue to get a a lot of reps as the Packers' third edge rusher because, quite simply, the Packers don't have anybody else right now who can reasonably lay claim to that role. So what does he do with the playing time he's got as the Packers continue to chip away at Jonathan Garvin's playing time? Tipanaliai is uh, is on injured reserve, and the Packers just released Kobe Jones, one of their other edge-rushing prospects, um, just today, in fact, along with Patrick Taylor. Bummer to see there. Uh, but they're probably clearing space for Kylan Hill, which, I, which we haven't really mentioned. But today, as we record this, is the last day the Packers can make a decision on him, and they've got two roster spots open right now. So Presumably, that's going to be him. What does Enigbari do over the rest of the season? What does he add to his game? How does he grow over the next nine weeks? Wide receiver development is another thing we need to watch. First and foremost, do we ever get to see Christian Watson for an extended period of time this season? I think 
the Packers are, are probably in the in a situation where they're asking if it takes if it takes them two or three weeks to get through the concussion protocol and take all the time you need because that's a, a potentially very serious injury. So don't read this as me trying to rush him back or anything from a, from an injury that looked very scary as it happened live. If the Packers think it's going to be two, three weeks, a month, do you just shut him down for the year? And will we ever get to see him for an extended period of time? Can he avoid other smaller nagging injuries if uh, if we do get to see him? What can uh, Romeo Dobbs add to his game between now and the end of the season? I think we saw a much more confident-looking Dobbs in the Bills game. Going up and high-pointing the ball in the end zone, that looked great. He had a nice, nice catch along the sideline. Those were the sort of plays that we haven't seen him make so much this year. Seeing him potentially build on that would be exciting. And I want to see more of what he can do in this Packers offense as he continues to grow as a player. And as a bonus, what can Samori Ture do? I think we're going to get a look here over the next couple of weeks as the Packers deal with some injuries at receiver. Let's see what he can do. And finally, when, if it becomes necessary to do so, do the Packers admit that it's over? Because that's when I think you have to really start looking ahead to playing opportunities for guys in 2023 and beyond. We haven't really mentioned him here, but this is a good time. Devontae Wyatt. Looking at the defensive line, Jaron Reed isn't a player for the Packers in 2023. Dean Lowry shouldn't be in that conversation either. If the Packers are truly out of it at some point, and maybe they don't admit it until they are absolutely positively mathematically eliminated from the playoffs, in which in which case there's going to be a, a pretty significant period where the Packers are functionally eliminated and actually eliminated, I think, unless they get really bad really fast here. Really, really bad really fast. But when it becomes clear that you're not going to make the playoffs, when do the Packers seemingly admit it? And what do they do once that point comes? Because I think that's when you have to start just giving almost exclusive playing time to guys that are going to be here in the future. What is that future like? And how do the guys the Packers ultimately do play factor into it? We'll find out, I guess, if the if the Packers actually get to a point where they admit that, you know, it's just not going to be us this year. And we'll see if and when that point comes. That's all I've got for you in this episode of Blue 58. I appreciate you tuning in. I appreciate you listening to my just semi-scattered thoughts on a bunch of different topics in this episode. That's sort of where the Packers are right now. Just a bunch of stuff going on, and you kind of got to talk about all of it, but it's not clear what it adds up to yet. In any case, thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed it, I would really appreciate it if you would share this episode with someone else you think would enjoy it too. That's going to help more people find the show, get more people involved in this conversation that you and I are having about the Green Bay Packers, and ultimately, and best of all, help all of us, me included, become smarter Packers fans. And as I always say, smarter Packers fans are better Packers fans, and better Packers fans are what we all want to be. I'm your host, John Meerdink. We'll see you next time on Blue 58.